Hello and welcome to TP Talks, PwC's Global Transfer Pricing Podcast Series. In today's episode, we will discuss transforming and enabling the Senior Executive Intercompany Transfer Pricing Strategy. My name is Dana Hart and joining me today, I have Laura Farine, a partner in the Intercompany Design and Execution Practice in our PwC New York office, Peter Pescatore, a director with our Intercompany Design and Execution Practice, also in the PwC New York office, and Ben Brewer, an Intercompany Design and Execution Manager in our PwC Atlanta office. Ben, you have agreed to moderate this podcast, so I'm going to go ahead and hand it off to you. Thank you, Dana. Uh, we're here today to talk about how transfer pricing and intercompany processes in general impact the agendas of companies' senior-level executives, including the impacts of U.S. tax reform. And by senior-level executives, we're referring not only to you know transfer pricing or tax executives, but those in finance and sales as well. Laura, can you take a few moments to discuss how transfer pricing and intercompany influence senior executives and their agendas and goals? Sure. Thank you, Ben. Um, Before going into specifics, I'd like to take a few moments to do a bit of level setting on what our practice, Intercompany Design and Execution, or IDE, which we have recently rebranded from E to E transfer pricing, does to support executives in automation. Intercompany Design and Execution leads the day-to-day implementation of a company's ERP they are also the operational transpricing and intercompany accounting SMS. They also help with process projects, especially those involving the automation of business processes. We advise clients on the entire end-to-end process from envisioning and validation through to user testing, training, and rollout. This includes IT systems, controls, business process documentation, improvement, design, and remediation. This is a full life cycle of finance transformation. We are tightly connected to our advisory colleagues as one firm go-to-market. So why executives concerned about pricing, costing, logistics, and related intercompany accounting? This type of business model, like many business models, require attention in order to ensure planned and actual revenue, margins and net profitability are available at the lowest level possible. By the lowest level, or tier, I mean what turns out to be at the time the actual product view of the item is being sold. This is done by automating pricing conditions or processes which incorporate predetermined intercompany product or surface markups, markdowns, and profit margins, which can be actualized as the goods or services move between plants, warehouses, and distributors to the end customers. Putting such a business model into place requires a number of legal, accounting, and supply chain attributes in place. In order to frame out what would constitute an arm's length to support the financial or tax benefits. If you connect the dots mentioned such as revenue, pricing, costing, profit margins, and net profitability, you'll notice all these elements directly or indirectly are reflected in the financial data found in the corporate consolidated P&L statement, as well as the local, legal, or country-specific entities responsible. So let's discuss for a few minutes who are the executives or the key stakeholders of the P&L starting from the top of that statement down. Key stakeholders to the top line of gross revenues or revenue are SVPs and VPs of sales. An undeniable key data element to accurate revenue is pricing. The transfer price or markup 
or intended profit margin on top of what is considered cost can be found as part of the DNA of the selling price of any commodity or business service. Speaking of cost, we often speak with resources in the supply chain management as we never assume the same understanding among stakeholders of what is determined or rolled up into cost as these parties who have stake in understanding sit and function in very different business units of the organization. Executives and leaders in the supply chain side of the organization can include the head of procurement, leaders in the manufacturing side of the company, then on somewhat the opposite end of the spectrum are the tax and business performance executives. As the buildup of costs, is what these executives and other leadership project revenue, profitable margins, potential related tax provision reserves, and forecasted or budget for all goods and services sold. Even executives who are responsible for determining any sales commission rates are part of these discussions. Markup and margin is built using P&L line items considered part of the overall expense and cost. Product sales commissions, of course, being one of them. Thanks, Laura. That's really interesting to, to understand that full picture. So it sounds like you're not only involved with discussions that are legal, sales, financial, and tax-driven, but also in discussions with a client's team or resources responsible for product costing, pricing, and, and logistics. So it's kind of on everybody's agenda who has a stake in, in everything that, quote-unquote, hangs up what can be called proper and accurate revenue recognition. So, Peter, what about the intercompany part of the services? What, what does that cover in terms of agenda and the scope of the services that, you know, you deliver and the IDE group delivers? It seems that it plays a huge role in the services that IDE delivers and obtainment of the client's goals. How or when does that come into play? Thanks for asking, Ben. I appreciate it. And, Laura, thanks for your talk track as well. Uh, you know, the intercompany piece, as you can imagine, all these entities are, are buying and selling from each other every month, every day, all year long. As they're doing so, the physical goods and the services are happening behind the scenes. They're moving across borders. They're moving to other related corporate-owned plants. They're moving to manufacturing entities, distribution entities, and eventually they do make it to the third party or the customers themselves. So intercompany general and subledger journals are generated books all the time during these periods to reflect not only the dimension physical flow, which is part of the transaction, but also the financial costs and the associated revenue generated with it. So with that said, each one is basically a double-sided entry to record the respective buyer and sellers due to and due from as part of the transactional flow of the products. For most of our clients, the volumes of these journals is quite high and monetary value is very significant. What we do is work with general ledger and subledger work streams to ensure accuracy in the financial and non-financial elements of a transaction will include multiple transfer pricing elements as they always do and make sure they're properly recorded. And this is to be done in a manner which is standardized and creates the best audit trail between the companies as the transactions are considered to be at an arm's length and are between the entities. Such transactions will eventually need to be settled where one party will pay the other for the received amount of the goods and to that indirectly to ensure that all the cash flow is therefore properly stated on each company's sets of books. Um, speaking of sets of books and cash, key holders such as treasury and others that are responsible for cash have a, put a high value on the accuracy of transfer pricing as it does in, impact net profitability. They are also responsible for not only the profit, but also netting of the transactions. 
So there's other stakeholders in addition to the ones I just mentioned with regards to Treasury. Uh, legal, it has to set up again arm's length transactions. So we have to set up intercompany agreements that are truly like buy-sell agreements that you would normally have with a third party or a customer. Internal audit and external audit has a say in this because obviously there's a tremendous volume as mentioned before to have a material impact on the sets of books of multiple entities under what you consider a large corporate umbrella. And all this is being done through the enabling technologies that people, the CIO and the CTO, are responsible for on a day-to-day -day basis. Thanks, Peter. That's really interesting, and it sounds like these discussions revolve around how do our clients utilize the functionality of existing technology to meet the expectations of these stakeholders. Laura, can you talk to us a little bit more about that? Yes, sure, Ben. Clients leverage a finance transformation utilizing the ERP, which will allow us to enable the functionality and somewhat technical leading practices we use surrounding data, processes, and reporting. In order to build efficient and cost-effective steps across the supply chain operations from a tax optimization perspective, we do that by discussing and investigating through data, KPIs, reasons for standardization, processes, designing efficient and effective processes, and reporting importance of achieving reporting transparency. But also, as Peter mentioned, Treasury with tax reform now has become a big component of these transformations, leveraging the Treasury modules, automating the in-house cash netting centers, the impact of withholding tax, and et cetera. So traditionally, we are heavily focused just on supply chain operations, tax optimizations, reporting, et cetera. But now with tax reform, Treasury has become a big component of these financial transformations also. Yeah, and, and Peter, can you talk a little bit more about that? You know, in particular, who do you work with and, and how do you go about starting these processes and making sure that they're, uh, they're effective and efficient? Sure, Ben, thanks for asking. Uh, we are engaged like all streams during the, all the phases of an ERP project life cycle. So just imagine that like any work stream, we gather functional requirements that enable the objectives of the agendas we've mentioned so far. We do this by joining again the project life cycle, which in typical fashion will include the assessment phase, a design phase, build, and go live. So just to drill down each just a tad, the assessment phase, like anybody else, that's really the discovery strategy session. So from a tax perspective or transfer pricing perspective, we look at the pain points around that. Um, what are the exactly of those both functionally and what maybe the technology can do to improve or eliminate those pain points. And we work with the client to come up with, again, um, identifying them, prioritizing them, rationalizing them, and see how they can be addressed with the other work streams as part of the overall program. During the design phase, as I mentioned a moment ago, looking at the, uh, the functional requirements, we come up with those requirements that become part of the master data inventory of the program those that become part of the processing requirements, the reporting, and between all those dots, we may able to address controls, uh, reconciliation reports, as well as operationally from a RACI perspective, who is going to be responsible for what task of the future activities that the program's gonna produce in terms of the accounting period cycle. Um, during the build phase, we're by no means technical. We are not developers. I don't think anybody's mentioned anything to that impact that to this point. We are still keep a light touch during the build phase, 
to help the configuration team, to help the broader development teams understand those functional requirements which are tax, which for the most part may seem like they're in a different language uh, compared to the rest of finance. And then last but not least, we will, you know, maybe take a more active presence during the pre-prep, the go-live, and then post-live support. So what that would may entail is we'll become part of the testing cycle or at least help the users along with the testing. Uh, we will be part of the team subsequent to go live to help support tax, transfer pricing. Uh, other groups that have, as we mentioned above, a lot of stakeholders have some interest in the success and the design requirements coming through fruition during the implementation. So I guess generally speaking, everybody from finance down to the supply chain, as Laura mentioned, would be people we would support or areas for support depending on, you know, how we put together the program in terms of emphasis. So I hope that was helpful, uh, kind of in a nutshell there. But you can only imagine that the team follows like a typical day-to-day -day set of activities like a normal work stream in an ERP program. Thank you, Peter. That's that's really interesting to, and, and helpful for you to just be able to describe those activities and understand how they then contribute to these executives' respective agendas. Oh, you're very welcome, Ben. My pleasure. Laura, maybe do you have anything to add? You're welcome, and I hope hope this was helpful in describing how we have many stakeholders with different agendas, but the common interest, of course, is revenue, which is on most everyone's mind and list. Great. Thank you, Laura, Peter, and Ben. And thank you to everyone who listened to this podcast. If you would like more information about this topic or if you have any questions, please email the speakers. Their email addresses can be found in the description of this episode. Thank you.